And what's going on, Dodgers Nation? Welcome to the Dodgers Nation post-game show. My name is Doug McCain. You can follow me on X and Instagram at DMAC underscore LA. And thanks for joining us a little bit after the Dodgers lose to the Reds. The Dodgers drop another spring training game to the Reds by a final score of 5-4. to four. They're 5-2 and two in their Cactus League. And tonight really is about a couple things. James Paxton's debut. James Paxton was very impressed. We're going to break that down. I thought James Paxton came out there in the second inning and showed why he's been more than capable of being one of the best, if not the best, number four or five starters in Major League Baseball. We're going to talk about Gavin Lux's defense. At what point are we going to start to get concerned about Gavin Lux's defense? He has been in there for 16 defensive innings. 16 innings on defense. He's had the ball hit to him twice. Both those times have resulted in an error. So at one point, are we going to get concerned? I still think that's a little premature. I think he's going to need some time, but we're going to dive into that. In fact, our Dodgers Nation post-game show poll is, how concerned are you about Gavin Lux's defense at short? Right now, 18% of you say extremely. 26.6% of you say very. 42.2% of you say little. And 30 13.2% of you say not at all. So I'm going to pose this question to you. Where do you guys stand on that? How do you feel about your concern level about Gavin Lux at shortstop? Not at all, little, very, or extremely. We're going to talk about Alex Vesey, about Landon Nack, Mookie Betts hits his first blast, and then we'll talk a little more about Blake Snell. Some additional thoughts on Snell we talked about at length during the Dodgers dugout live this morning, but let's go down below in the comment section. Welcome to a Dodgers Nation post game show after dark the first one of the year the first one of many number one dodgers nation post game show the number one post game show here on youtube we got i say not at all give lux time and some practice that's from judy over on youtube dustin dugan says i think we should be talking more about how bad outman is that's from dustin dugan yeah some pretty bad swings and misses from James Alman tonight. He does have three hits during spring, does have that one home run, and yeah, I think that, look, if he struggles, he's someone that we've seen fall into deep droughts. We saw that after he had a really nice start, hit the Dodgers' first home run of the season against the Diamondbacks to open things up, then fell off a little bit. You saw they adjusted to him, and his adjustment back was he was going to sacrifice some of that power for a little more bat-to-ball, a little more contact, and you saw those power numbers start to go down a little bit, but he did avoid the slums. But tonight we're going to focus first on James Paxton. James Paxton thought did a really nice job. Comes out the big maple and he impressed. And he ends up with four strikeouts. He went two innings. And that first inning definitely a little shaky. Definitely shaky during that first inning. But he did come back strong in the second one. So 32 pitches in as a whole, 32 pitches totally allowed back-to-back singles, back-to-back one-out singles there in the first inning and a sack fly that led to a run. But he retired his final five batters that he faced. He retired the final five that he faced. Lots of swing and miss. You saw him execute with that fastball up in the zone. Nasty slider, nasty breaking stuff. I was very impressed with James Paxton, the big maple, in his debut as a Dodger. I thought he did a really, really nice job. Let's check out some of James Paxton, and yeah, what was really impressive, look at that, the deception of the delivery, fastball up and in, landing breaking balls for strikes, 
Very, very impressive Dodger debut. And the second inning is really when he settled down. He comes back out there in the second after allowing those back-to-back one-out singles in the sack fly in the first. And 2-2 to Fraley. He struck him out with a fastball in the zone for the first out. Then first inning. 1-0 pitch to Ellie De La Cruz. He smokes a base hit to right. A little fastball up. De La Cruz, he ends up getting that base hit. Then first pitch to Jamer Candelario. He hits one off the end of the bat that goes for a base hit to right. De La Cruz, he goes first to third. Then Spencer Steer, 1-1. He flies to right. De La Cruz scores on the play to give the Reds an early 1-0 lead. And then Candelario at first, two outs. Stevenson at the play, 2-2 pitch. He gets him to ground to Mook, who flips it to Lux there to end the inning. Then Jumped to that second inning, and he was crisp. And first of all, I just want to point out, too, it's always good when you can have your starting pitchers try different things, right? Not go out there and just dominate. He had to operate with runners on base, work out of the stretch, get himself out of a little jam there. I think that's good early on. I think you don't want to come out there and just dominate your way early on in spring training. But in the second inning, he falls behind 2-0 and... Then he gets Encarnacion with a nasty breaking ball down for the first out. And then he gets Ford to take strike one on a fastball. Fouls one off for strike two. And the 0-2, Big Mabel, he gets him with an elevated fastball. And then Fairchild, he couldn't hold up on a breaking ball to make it 1-2. And he drops a breaking ball in the outside corner for strike three. So really nice job. He strikes out the side in the second. What grade do you guys give James Paxton? Because I know it's not the Blake Snells. It's not one of these big-time, big-name free agents, but look at the stuff he did. I'm getting some Tyler Anderson vibes. I'm getting some Andrew Heaney vibes. We're talking about a deceptive left-hander, a guy that can absolutely bring balance to this rotation, and he's someone that had a tremendous amount of success throughout his career and early on before the injury. So let me know down below in the comments section, what are your thoughts on James Paxton's Dodgers debut? I have to give it a A minus, an A minus. The way he came out there in the second inning, and he really pitched well. I thought he settled down. You saw him get some work in from the stretch. You saw him get some swing and miss in the zone. The deceptive delivery for him, it's about getting the feel for that breaking ball. The fastball up, as Rick Monday pointed out, his fastball up was one of the more effective pitches in the game. And you saw that last season during the early part when he was really having a ton of success. So, yeah, I felt really good about James Paxton's first start as a Dodger. Craig Osterberg gives it an A. Sid Duenas says Yamamania. Yeah, by the way, if you want to be eligible for our latest giveaway, and that, of course, is a Yoshinobu Yamamoto jersey, all you have to do is subscribe to the number one Dodgers YouTube channel and comment Yamamania down below. Black Dead 28 says, can we get Snell? We'll talk about that in a little bit. We talked about it at length during the morning show, but uh, we absolutely will touch on that. I mean, Lux really looks lost out there. That's going to be our next topic, but some more of your takes. Yo, DMAG, not to go off topic, but what do you think Otani will have his best hitting career ever since he can focus only on hitting and not only pitching. That's really interesting because sometimes I've talked to insiders about this idea like, oh, okay, Otani is just going to go off and he's going to focus on hitting, hit 50, 60 home runs. That's all he needs to do. Well, one of the reasons why Otani was gifted those new baseball gloves 
and it also includes a first base glove, is that not because he's going to play in the outfield, not because he's going to play at first base, but he can stay engaged and he can go out there and field some ground balls. And he doesn't have to feel like he's only working on hitting 24-7 because what I was told is that Otani is such a perfectionist and he's such a a calculated, I don't want to say workaholic, but that's basically what he is when it comes to working on his craft, right? It's baseball, baseball, and then some more baseball. And he's someone that when he's constantly working on just hitting, sometimes it's good to break away and work on pitching. And that's one of the reasons why he had so much success is it forced him to be very efficient and not hyper-focused on just one avenue, the hitting and the pitching. So I think he's learned from playing through the injuries in the past and being a DH only and not pitching a couple years ago when he was coming back from the injury. And I think that he is going to have a great year. I think it has to do a lot to do with the talent around him as well. The protection batting in between Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman. I talked about it earlier in the week that Throughout the last two seasons, Shohei Otani, when he's been at the plate, he's had runners on base around 40% of the time. League average is around 43%. The hitter that's been at the plate with the most base runners during that stretch is... Will Smith. So he's had a ton of opportunities. And if you're going to be on this team, you're going to have a ton of opportunities. So I definitely expect a big year from him. I think he wants to have a signature season at the plate. So I wouldn't expect anything less than greatness from Mr. Married Man. Mr. Married Man. Hey, he already got his first ring as a Dodger, right? No rings with the Angels. Already has his first ring as a Dodger. Hopefully it's the first of many rings in Dodger Blue. BC over under for Paxton's ERA is four and a half, I'd say. That definitely wouldn't be good. I mean, he had a four and a half ERA last season, a 377 expected ERA at 19 starts, but that was after the injuries. Okay. And it was his first full season back since April of 2021 when he had Tommy John surgery, right? That was his first full season back. Sometimes it's the second season that you really start to feel and perform like the pitcher that you once were. And I always urge you to not look at his last season in its entirety and its totality where you see that 4-5 ERA. Look at his first 16 starts. First 16 starts for Paxton, a 334 ERA, a 369 expected FIP, and a 26.3% strikeout rate. That was above average. A walk rate at 6.5%. That's above league average. In a 10-game stretch last season, we posted a 273 ERA, 346 expected FIP, a sub-1 whip, and a strikeout rate at 29.1% and a walk rate at 6.4%. So this guy has had long stretches. Big Maple can ball. So let's not sleep on James Paxson. Everyone's talking about Blake Snell, Blake Snell, Blake Snell. Well, you'll get my thoughts on that in just a second here, but let's focus also on, hey, this is an embarrassment of pitches, right? This is a rotation that has a ton of talent. James Paxson on a one-year deal and someone who's trying to make that opening day roster so we get that $2 million bonus and get the full $13 million, James Paxton has someone has all the incentive in the world to go out there and perform, and I thought it was a very encouraging first start. Ray Soto says Vesia is going to cost us a ton of games. Ray Soto, look, Vesia, he's had his ups and downs for sure during spring. Last year, he had a very slow start to the season. He had an ERA north of seven, and then after the All-Star break, he settled down, and he was one of the Dodgers' more reliable relievers. During this game, though, I mean, he got Kemp swing on a foul tip for the first out. Then he gets Fraley. He got it with a very nice slider away, the best slider I've seen him throw this spring. And then 2-2 count, 
two outs, and De La Cruz, he loses him. So he was very close to getting out of that inning today, and he was just one strike away. Unfortunately, the command issues started to rear their ugly head. If you want to be the man, you have to have the command, and I think that is the number one thing for Alex Vesia. When he is painting the corners on elevated fastballs, and then he's hitting that slider down and in, back foot on both sides, that's when you know he's feeling good on the mound. But unfortunately, he loses Ellie De La Cruz, and then what happens next batter, Candelario, ball gets he kicked away, De La Cruz gets to second, and you see some non-competitive pitches to Candelario, and then 2-1, he hits it to Lux, and Lux bobbles it, and it goes as an error. So let's take a look at the Lux error, get your guys' thoughts on that. That's the Mookie Blast. That's Landon Knack. We got the Lux air somewhere. There you go. Routine play. Bobbles it. Short arms to throw. It skips to Padlow. You see it again. That's a routine play for a big league shortstop. And forget the bobble, right? Forget the bobble. Even when you recover there, that is not the technique you have. That is not the mechanics. You want to gather and get the load, throw off the right foot, and get something behind that. Because even after the bobble, if you make that throw correctly, yeah, it probably is going to be safe. But we see shortstops that have cannons in this league that can still make that play because the throw was right. And like I said, with Gavin Lux, look, I don't, I'm not going to overreact here. I'm not going to say, oh, go, hey, someone call Willie Adamas. Get Willie Adamas on line one, right? But I will say that we've seen Gavin Lux in his 16 defensive innings at shortstop so far, and he's had two balls hit his way. First one, he wasn't able to make the throw. The second one, he bobbles it and doesn't make the throw. So two errors in his two opportunities. So is it that concerning right now? I would say no. But it's definitely not nothing. To say it's not nothing is just not being honest, right? Even in your heart of hearts, you're probably thinking to yourself, this is someone who has never played this position at a full season rate. He's never been an everyday shortstop at the big league level. And he's coming off a significant injury, a severe injury, a torn LCL, torn ACL, a hamstring injury. Then you add the fact that you have the restricted shift and then, above all else, he's still trying to figure things out at the plate. I think the positive note for Gavin Lux is he was able to get a bloop single a little later in that game. And, yeah, it's a bloop single, but, hey, in the box score, it's going to look like a line drive, right? So he did get a bloop single to tie things up in the seventh, but... I think it's definitely going to be a work in progress because Gavin Lux was out there before the game today, and he was the last guy off the dirt after pregame warmups. He was taking more reps than anyone else on the infield. But guess what? You can stay out there for hours on end. You can't replicate big league action. You can't replicate game action. And I think that's what we're seeing right now. Is you can put in all the work you want. You can go through all the drills. You can take the fun go bat out there you get hitting ground balls to his left to his right backhand this and that but until 
you're doing it in the game consistently, I think that is where the learning curve is going to be. That is where he is going to have to get his reps in, take his lumps, and then we'll have to see. So, look, I think if we're talking three months into the season, four months into the season, and he's continuously missing throws or bobbling ground balls and he has a lot of errors and he's not hitting at the plate, then we can have that conversation. But look, just being rational right now, you have to say that just settle down, give him his opportunity. They're not going to be trading for Willie Adamas overnight. You're not going to have Miguel Rojas being your starting shortstop, but have Miguel Rojas as an option there, as a Band-Aid guy, having Chris Taylor as a guy who can play shortstop, having Kike Hernandez as a guy who can play shortstop, having Mookie Betts as a guy who can play shortstop. They have a lot of options they can go to if Gavin Lux does struggle. And look, I mean, Gavin Lux... He grayed out as an above-average second baseman, but a below-average shortstop. From an arm strength standpoint, it was one of the lowest in the league. But second base, he showed that he could get it done. Mookie Betts, below-average shortstop as well. But you could also go that route. You could flip-flop them from second and short. You could also go out there and have Miguel Rojas, who last season was a top-five shortstop defensively, had 12 defensive runs saved. Miguel Rojas is still one of the best defensive shortstops in baseball, but it just comes down to, hey, what kind what flavor of ice cream do you want, right? What do you want? Do you want a Gavin Lux who is, even at his best, not going to be as good of a defender as Miguel Rojas? Because Rojas is special with the glove. Or do you look at Miguel Rojas and you say, wait, this is someone who hits 236, has a 69 weighted runs created plus. He's 31% below league average at the plate, hit five home runs last season. Whereas Gavin Lux, a few years ago, he was an above average bat. So I think what the Dodgers are telling us is they want to see if they can get the above average bat with Gavin Lux, but the average to below average defense, they would rather have someone in the lineup like Lux who can get on base in the eight or nine hole and then serve as the second leadoff hitter and put another base runner on there for Mookie Betts, for Shohei Otani, for Freddie Freeman. That's how you get those big innings. But I will stress this, run prevention is as important as run production. So definitely don't want to minimize that. But I do think Gavin Lux, he just needs to take a breath, man. Take a deep breath, kind of relax those shoulders, just loosen up, and he can get it done. But you have to focus on the technique. You can't rush throws, and I still believe in Gavin Lux. But I want all your Gavin Lux takes down below in the comment section. What are your thoughts? We've got Javier Lucero. I mean, Lux looks really lost out there. Yamamania. I only want Snell so he doesn't go to San Francisco. That's from Dustin Dugan. Do you guys see KNBR, their morning show, their morning radio show? They played all my comments that I made about them earlier in the week. You can check it on Instagram, kind of what I said about them cheering about Otani and I was talking about, oh, hey, how about how about the Dodgers fans? We did that last year, right? When Arson Judge was making his Giants debut, we were all laughing when he struck out. Oh, wait a minute. They didn't get Arson Judge, right? Oh, wait a minute. You can't watch Giants games because they're not televised. Oh, wait a minute. You don't, haven't been able to land a superstar, so I don't think they're going to get a Blake Snell. I think Blake Snell makes a lot of sense. He's had a lot of success at Oracle Park, but what inside is from Shorb Shilb? Can't get, can't reveal that. Uh, Lux isn't the answer. That's from Michael Anthony Lopez. Otani married. Yeah, how about that? Shohei Otani did the most Otani thing ever yesterday. He announces that he has been married. He's been married for a while now, and he didn't want it to be a distraction for the season. And uh, yeah, I know that uh, some people are a little bit heartbroken, but uh, hey, at least uh, 
Yeah, my wife's not going to divorce me now because you know, she thought she had a chance with Otani or something. I have no idea. But baseball, baseball. White Paxton reminds me of Tyler Anderson. He will be efficient pitcher if hell gets from Yang Yi. Yeah, I love that take right there. I mean, you see the comparisons and Tyler Anderson, someone who was able to put himself in a great position to sign a nice deal with the Angels, has not looked the same since though, right? Making money even at night. What up, Mr. Classic? Represent always. Left side of the infield is still suspect. Absolutely, Nick Shrunk. I mean, that's definitely a major topic. DMAC, you're one of... I love this take. This is a fire take from Zella Zoom. DMAC, you're one of Otani's groomsmen, right? Hey, I'll be his best man. I'm all, I think it, me and Ipe, it'd be tied, right? And maybe Tausker. I like Chris Oki. That's from Dodgers Z Showtime. I do too. Nice pop. Michael Madden, yo, DMAC, do you wish the Dodgers went out and spent the money on a shortstop last offseason? Correa, Xander, re-signed Trey. I was always nervous with Lux even going into last offseason. So, Michael, my response to that is, I've always said this, the Dodgers only give out big money to players they absolutely love. If it's anything but a 10 out of 10, you're not going to get the $200, $300 million contract from the Dodgers. And with the guys that you named, Carlos Correa, they didn't like him on a long-term deal. Xander Bogats, they didn't like him on the type of deal that he signed with the San Diego Padres. Trey Turner, I don't think they had any interest in Trey Turner because the defensive issues, I just don't think that they thought he was a good fit. The price that he was going to cost, there was never any serious communication about an extension. So they never showed any interest for Trey Turner. And look, should they have? I don't think so. I think that you look at that position especially moving forward because you have guys like Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman and Max Muncy and Will Smith and Shohei Otani and Teoscar Hernandez. Offensively, do you really need a bat-first shortstop? Carlos Correa, he's an elite glove shortstop. Xander Bogarts, he has improved throughout the years. Trey Turner, he's declined at that position. But I think really the perfect shortstop doesn't truly exist unless look you look at Willie Adamas I will say that if for whatever reason things don't work out with Gavin Lux and the thing is the Brewers don't really need a shortstop right now and I still think that Gavin Lux provides a lot of value when you look at how much team control he has he's a homegrown guy I wouldn't completely just move off him but Adamas is a top five defensive shortstop he hits a ton of home runs 20 to 30 home runs does strike out a lot doesn't get on base a lot but still he's good friends with Mookie Betts that's a factor so maybe if you trade for him and got a little extension done who knows, right? But it's a very difficult position to fill these days because there's not a lot of those guys that are above average offensively that can play defensively at a above average level as well. There's like nine or ten of them on the planet. Hey, DMAC, Shohei and Kike play tomorrow. It's over for the Cleveland Ferries, DCAM. Yeah, I'm so excited to see Kike Hernandez, Shohei Otani in that Dodgers lineup. A night game. It's going to be special. I'm loving it. Teoscar was a great pickup. Yeah, he hit the ball hard time. That's from Nick Shrunk. Teoscar Hernandez is going to be that guy. He's your Dodgers, she's your favorite Dodgers' favorite Dodger. And that's what I'm saying this year because he's going to hit the ball hard. He's going to rake against lefties. He's going to hit 25 to 32 home runs. I think he has a chance to make the all-star team. He's going to put himself in a position to get a nice payday. DMAC, do you really think Snell would improve the Dodgers? He's only had two good years. That's from Ken Warren. Now, could Blake Snell improve the Dodgers? 
100%, right? Yeah, how much would he improve the Dodgers? That's a different topic. It's a different question. Because if you were to add Blake Snell, they're already well above the highest threshold, right? $297 million, that's the highest threshold. They're already dipping into the Cohen tax. Anything above that, you're charged 110%, right? So if they have a payroll of 345 to $350 million, everything north of 297 is going to be a 110% service charge, you have to really love the idea of Blake Snow because when you look at some of these contracts out there that you're signing guys to longer term deals to try to minimize the AAV, that's not the case on a one year deal, right? If he was going to come here, it's going to be on a 35 to $40 million deal, maybe something north of that, and he's going to increase that CBT. And then you look at this rotation, and yes, you can never have enough starting pitching. Depth is always going to win, but you have Yoshinobu Yamamoto, you have Tyler Glass now, you have Bobby Miller and Walker Bueller, who think are trending in the right direction. I totally agree with Walker Buehler. Some people acting like he's had a setback or anything like that. No, he's throwing 94-95. He's talking his junk on the mound. He's cussing and he's yelling. He was facing Miguel Vargas and Miguel Vargas had a 15 pitch at bat the other day and he struck him out and they're kind of jawing. So, look, Bueller is still here, okay? Walker Bueller still intends to be that guy. Then, outside of that, you have James Paxton. You have Clayton Kershaw potentially coming back. Dustin May potentially coming back as a guy you can use as a multi-inning piece out of the bullpen. Then, one of these younger guys, the Gavin Stones, the Michael Groves, the Landon Nags, the Emmett Sheehan's. I mean, Emmett Sheehan was phenomenal during certain stretches last season. So, I think if you're going to add a starting pitcher, you you want to assess what you have early on. Give some of these young guys an opportunity to see what they have because either one, they become contributors for you, or two, you can trade them. And if I'm an organization out there and I'm looking at the Dodgers and I'm saying, wait a minute, the Dodgers are out there acting like they have all these top prospects, that they have all these great pitching prospects. Well, why don't they use them, right? Why would I want to trade for them if they don't want to use them, right? So I think if I'm the Dodgers, Blake Snell, I just don't truly believe that Blake Snell would absolutely sign a one-year deal with the Dodgers. I would be shocked if he did because Blake Snell is going to be 32 pretty soon. Okay, And Trevor Bauer, he was still young enough to sign that deal. He wanted to do things a little differently. So, higher AAV, that's a higher tax number. He turns 32 in December. And yes, he was great. Don't get me wrong. Blake Snell down the stretch last season, his final 23 starts of the year, Snellzilla posted a 123 ERA, had a 35% strikeout rate. Those are elite numbers. In San Diego, a 315 ERA and a 31.5% strikeout rate, 83 starts. He has been really, really good with the Padres. And someone like you brought up, though, outside of those two Cy Young years, he hasn't been great. He does walk a lot of guys. Sometimes if the command is off, he can't go deep into a game, which the way the Dodgers manage their pitchers, I don't even think that would be that big of an issue. But, yeah, he led Major League Baseball at 99 walks last season at 13.2% walk rate. So that doesn't necessarily fit with what the Dodgers do. And here's the thing, too. The Dodgers have expressed no interest in Blake Snell for this entire offseason. This entire offseason, they haven't had one rumor, one link to the Dodgers. And 
it would just shock me if he didn't find a way to get a multi-year deal because that's a huge risk for Blake Snell. A guy who's turning 32 that, as you pointed out, outside of those two Cy Young seasons, hasn't ever pitched more than 130 innings, hasn't received one Cy Young vote. If you're Blake Snell, you have to capitalize on the deal you had. So we can talk a lot about it, but I'm just telling you, it's extremely unrealistic. And I think if the Dodgers felt like they needed him, Sure, they could bite the bullet and they could pay the tax and they could go that route. But I also think that they realize that let's say everyone's healthy. Who's not making the postseason roster, right? And you're throwing Kershaw Bueller in the bullpen, James Pax in the bullpen, these young guys in the bullpen. I mean, I think it's more likely that another starter will be acted as a reactive move, as a move after a potential injury like we saw in 2021 when Dustin May went down and they lost Trevor Bauer and they went out and they got Max Scherzer. So it's fun to talk about. Trust me, it is. Blake Snell, I mean, cool with Mookie Betts. Uh, He's cool with a lot of these players. We've seen what he's capable of in the postseason, but it just doesn't seem like a realistic option. And the only reason we're talking about this is that it was leaked that he's willing to accept a shorter-term deal. I don't know why the Giants don't go out there and sign. The Giants are just cheap Ola. We spent $1.2 billion, and we got uh, Sierra Brew. D-Max Smith will get it going. Texas have so much to organize, especially in the beginning of the season with new pitches. Absolutely. Swelling Sausage. Can the Doyers win it all with two butchers on the left side? That's from Swelling Sausage. Joel Rodriguez, more important topic to discuss. How will the players deal with the excessive media coverage centered around Otani this year? Too much to handle for players and coaches. So, Joel, I can tell you from talking to multiple players about this specific topic, and the response that I get is they actually like it. Now, hear me out for a second. They don't like it because you're getting more coverage. They like it because Otani is getting most of the coverage. And they're sitting out there, and they're going to the clubhouse, and they're getting ready to go, and they're just enjoying themselves, playing ping pong with each other, talking to their teammates, and they don't have to worry about them having to interview the media, right? They can go in and out. They can leave, and then there's this big huddle around Otani. So I think that... They also find it exciting, too. And Mookie Betts is a guy who's dealt with media. Freddie Freeman is one of the best I've ever seen. He's actually the best I've ever seen in dealing with the media. So I think that if you aren't going to embrace being on the Dodgers this year with everything that's at stake, with the roster they have, and the expectations, this is not for you. And a lot of the guys on this team, though, are guys who've either been there and won that, or young guys that I think are going to embrace the spotlight. Yamamoto, he was great in the WBC. He was great in Game 6 of the Japan Series. He's someone who has a track record of success in big games. Bobby Miller, yes, he did struggle in Game 2, but he's someone who stepped right in there on the road against the Braves, and a really great start to his career. He's someone who wants the big stage as well. Will Smith, we've seen him do it on the big stage. Max Muncy, one of the best postseason hitters in Dodgers history. Kike Hernandez, Teoscar Hernandez. So a lot of these guys, I think, have the personality to deal with it, and they have the track record and the proven results to say, okay, I've been there, and I've had success in these situations. Mr. Classic, Vesia, you know all he sucks, but when it comes to the postseason and the critical moment, what up, D-Mac? What up, Coast to Coast 360? Lux has the yips like Steve Sachs. I wouldn't say, yeah, it's a little premature to say he has the, the yips at this point, but yeah, here's uh, Gavin Lux right here. Yeah, that's a routine play for a major league shortstop. And for me, it's not the bobble. It's how he reacts after he's unable to field it cleanly. Because 
I think that you still can put together a respectable throw. Yes, Candelario, he's hustling down the line. He's probably going to be safe after the bobble. But, yeah, I think, too, Ellie De La Cruz trying to getting in his vision right there, blocking him temporarily. But like I said, you cannot replicate big league action, so we're going to have to give him some time. Mr. Classic, that's what I'm worried about is Gavin Lux's thought process, Zella Zoom, what knee did he have the surgery on? So, yeah, I think with Gavin Lux... We'll pull it up right here, and and uh, I see some questions about uh, Landon Knack, and we're gonna kind of kind of look at that. But yeah, I think for me, it's uh, he's it's gonna require some time, and it's his throwing. You want to step into that, and uh, of course, you look back that play, he could have avoided it, and he 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 did the thing he needed to do try to get out he made the instinctive play and uh for sure we got uh what need to have sir john zell zoom the right knee we got uh, lux looks like someone who hasn't played shortstop in a long time one second here awesome miggy road needs to teach him yeah i think that he's gonna have a role and I think that that's a major, major boost to this defense, too, is having him as a luxury. Are we concerned with the third and shortstop defense, Ray Soto? I think naturally you're concerned. But the difference now, though, is Max Muncy, you know what he can do offensively. You know he's going to hit 30-plus home runs and give you 100-plus RBI. And you can live with his defense if his offense produces like that. But Lux, it kind of goes twofold. Does his offense justify his defense and that's going to be a big question early on. Now, another highlight early on I'm going to talk about is Landon Knack. I thought Landon Knack had a really nice showing again. Landon Knack is someone who continues to quietly impress during spring. You saw the changeup. You saw the fastball. You saw him get Ellie De La Cruz with that nasty changeup. 2-2 count. I mean, fastball in the zone. He gets Kemp swinging. George Graham tonight. Mm-hmm. 1-2 pitch. That nasty breaking ball. Swing and miss. Ellie De La Cruz changeup in the zone. He strikes him out. Very, very impressed with Landon Knack. He has a knack for getting swing and miss and just pounding the zone with strikes. Mm -hmm. Kind of the first inning in that appearance wasn't at his best, but he really did settle down nicely, and I thought that he performed well. And I think that, of course, for that fifth rotation spot with Walker Buehler out, you got Emmett Shin, you got Gavin Stone, but Landon Knack is definitely impressing the Dodgers coaches, impressing his teammates, and he's a has another strong start. He had three strikeouts again, pitched two innings, the breaking ball, got the chase, and you saw chases on multiple at-bats in multiple innings. So, yeah, I thought that uh, really other than the fastball command tonight, I thought he looked really good. I mean, that's best pitch was definitely that uh, changeup to get Ellie De La Cruz. Let's check that changeup out, the Ellie De La Cruz. Yeah. Can watch, I don't know about you guys. I can just literally watch pitchers strike batters out for hours and hours on end. Mm-hmm. You got Nag. Breaking ball there. And look at that changeup. Man, arm speed. How about Mookie Betts, too? Boom! Marcus Lynn Betts. First Betts bomb. Mookie living his Betts life. Pulled the Dodgers within one. I like the fact that he thought he didn't get it at first, too. And it still left the yard. Look at that. Just gets the barrel on it. That force. Oh, I think Mookie's looking pretty good. I think that swing is is uh, a little more ahead of schedule than it was 
at this time last year. I think Mookie's always someone who said he's a, a slow starter. But what up, Mr. Classic? Kike going to play shortstop now, too? I hope not because Kike didn't grade well at shortstop. I mean, he actually struggled at the, that position. He's a better outfielder right now than he is an infielder. I think you want to give Miguel Rojas an opportunity, Chris Taylor, I think, an opportunity, especially against left-handed pitchers. I could see that as well. When did 82% of – okay, we get uh, Gavin is still getting reps. Give him time. Yeah. I can't read your name, B.D. Donnie, but yeah. Put Lux at second from Craig Osterberg. Love Pajes, but where can he play? Andy Pajes is someone's going to play in the outfield. I mean, you could platoon him with Jason Hayward. If Jason Hayward struggles, you can give an opportunity. If someone goes down, you can give an opportunity. But Pajes is definitely a part of the Dodgers' future. I'm definitely absolutely convinced of that at this point. Pajes is outfield, preferably right. Gavlux is clearly struggling. This isn't the first time either. Rojas has to be short. Something That's from Robert Rojka. Yeah, look, I mean, you definitely can live with a defensive first shortstop with Otani as their designated hitter, okay? This team scored 906 runs last season with Rojas as their primary shortstop. So it kind of just, like I said, the big question is, would you rather have strong defense from your shortstop and a bad bat or the potential of Gavin Lux with hopefully an above-average bat, a guy who can hit 280 to 300, had six home runs a couple years ago. Rojas had five last season. So you just definitely need him to justify his defense with his stick. Like with Max Muncy, his best defense is his offense. And I think Gavin Lux can absolutely have that same approach as well. But ideally, he's an average to above average shortstop that's a plus bat as well. And really it comes down to, look, let's be honest. It's the sunk cost fallacy, right? You definitely want to see what you have in someone that was a former top prospect for you that's under team control for multiple years a guy that this organization believes in and that's a lot of confidence to have in a guy to give him the keys to the shortstop for a team that doesn't have time to wait around this team has to win now they have to win this year next year the year after that i mean this the time for winning is right right now lugs batting practice pitcher from b guzman agree with dmac what a pahe slash ramos greater than hey that's from yang yi we'll keep monitoring Lux, but your instincts are probably right that's from mr classic what up alex he can't believe posting major news oh, yeah he can't believe yeah, exactly talking about uh, otani i don't know you were married, D-Mac. Uh, James reacts. Uh, Paxton, I married the game, baby. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, Tyler Anderson throws 85. Paxton throws 97. Yeah, look, I don't think that people are saying from their pitch mix that they're going to be similar. I don't think that means that at all. The difference between Tyler Anderson, the reason why he had success is he refound a grip on a changeup that was able to tumble out of the zone and work some other pitches and have good command. Paxton is one of the best elevated fastballs in baseball last season. And you're right. 96-97 from a velocity standpoint, slider, curveball. He's someone that has a good mix, but I think it's more along the lines of someone that's the one-year reclamation project lefty versus, no, of course, I mean, which pitches are identical from a pitch mix standpoint, right? Uh, we got uh, Lux definitely needs to relax out there. He'll grade average in a few months in. Hey, if that's the case, sign me up for it because I know the organization would absolutely be happy with that. $5 super chat from Naman, LOL. Let's give Lux a chance. If it gets bad, trade one of the prospects for a star shortstop. Yeah, they have options. And they have options, but do they have a lot of time? 
let's see. I think they're going to have some very heavy assessing going on early on. What up, DMAC? What up, James? Give Snell a five-year supply of Dodger dogs and $1 for one year. DS, I like that. Fire take. But a couple more here, guys, and we are going to be out of here. And, yeah, find us tomorrow morning for the morning show. So Dodgers Dugout Live, 10 o'clock, covering all things Dodger baseball. So definitely be able to subscribe for that. AJ Alexander, Big Mabel look good. He's got that high fastball K thing going on, better than Vessia and better than Ferguson from the left side in that style. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, Rick Monday, he pointed out during the game the success he has against fastballs, uh, against uh, the success he has with elevated fastballs, 200 batting average against with two strikes away. He struck out over 75% of the batters he faced with those strikeouts. And he was up there with Miller of the Mariners and Alcantara of the Marlins with the success rate there. But uh, $2 from Nah, take Lux's offensive covers for his defense. There you go. We got a... We got a, J- a Japanese super chat. Awesome, awesome, man. We got uh, it's me, Nishi, uh, Nishiida. What's up? What's up? Thank you, brother. Every day from Tokyo. Oh, I really appreciate you. Definitely. I have uh, a lot of new Japanese followers and people that watch this show, and we appreciate you guys. And really, hey, it's Dodgers Nations now, right? But uh, deep fried beans, Dodgers should trade for Scooble. Yeah, he, look, man, I mean, that's just it. Those kind of names are going to be names that I think they're going to target if things do not go right during the season. But to all Dodgers, big dogs are already going yard. That's definitely a good sign. You got. Uh, you got uh, Teoscar hitting the ball hard. You got Mookie hitting nukes. You got Otani leaving the yard. But uh, married to the grind. There you go, Miroho. That's what I'm talking about. Because I want to see us win. Jesus Figueroa, you think Freddie will sign extensions soon? I mean, they got him on a six-year, $162 million deal. I think you look at his age. They want to play on that contract out and see where that's going to go. I don't anticipate an extension. Joey Gallo got .5 war last year. Not all a comparable player. I know he's talking about Joey Gallo. But that's going to do for this episode of the Dodgers Dugout post-game show, the Dodgers Nation post-game show. My name is Doug McCain. You can follow me on X and Instagram at DMAC underscore LA. Join us tomorrow at 10 a.m. for Dodgers Dugout Live. We're going to be throwing out grades for every single off-season Signing. We're going to talk about Kika Hernandez, Kenley Jansen, any moves they could potentially make, some surprises. We could be giving away the Yamamoto jersey on a Friday, so definitely look for us tomorrow morning. But that's going to do it, guys. Remember, nothing brings us together quite like Dodger baseball. Until next time, think blue, bleed blue, and I'm out.